0: From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Presidents have promised to send an astronaut to the moon since 1989, when George Bush first proposed it. Donald Trump has taken up the call, and he seems serious. He's tasked a former Oklahoma congressman and fellow space enthusiast. Jim Bridenstine with running NASA and overseeing the effort. Bridenstine joins us today in our studio to talk about Trump's plans for Mars and what it will take to get there. So thank you for joining us, Administrator Bridenstine. We really appreciate it. It's my honor. Good to be here. So President Trump says we are going to Mars. He seems really committed to this. He's brought it up a number of times. What needs to happen for us to get there?
1: Well, I think what you see from this president is uh, he understands that the way to get to Mars is by using the surface of the moon and to use moon as, in essence, a proving ground for all the technologies and capabilities that we need to develop to get to Mars. Uh, The president's Space Policy Directive 1 directed us to go to the moon in a way that is sustainable. In other words, not like Apollo. If you look at the Apollo program, it was flags and footprints, and when it was over, you know, we, we, we came home and we never we never went back. Uh, he wants to take advantage of commercial capabilities. He wants to take advantage of international partnerships. When we look ar- around the world today, there's more commercial and international capabilities than ever before. And to go back to the moon in a sustainable way and build all of the capabilities that are necessary uh, to feed forward for a mission to Mars, that's the ultimate objective.
0: And one of the crucial um, aspects of that, right, is is mining— the water that would provide the fuel to get onto Mars.
1: That is a piece of it. So we have to figure out how to. If you're going to go to Mars, it's about a six month journey to get there. By the time you get there, you're not going to come home for at least two years because the they're not going to be in the same you know plane around the sun. Uh, and so the, uh, being on opposite sides of the sun, they just we just you're not to, you're not going to come home for about two years. Uh, so you, you, we have to figure out how to utilize the resources of Mars in order to live for a period of two years before coming home. Uh, and the the Moon is the, 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 the most optimum place to prove what we call in-situ resource utilization uh, for life support and ultimately even propulsion uh, and power. Uh, so that what's unique about the Moon is, uh, and we learned this in 2009, is that there are billions of tons of water ice at the poles. And water ice is, you know, it's hydrogen and oxygen. And when you break ice into its component parts and then you put it into cryogenic form, you know, liquid oxygen and liquid hydrogen, that's the same propulsion that powered the space shuttles, for example. But all of this water ice is available at the poles of the moon where there's permanent sunlight, which means that's a a power source. And the water ice, because there's permanent sunlight, there's also permanent shadows. We call them cold traps where the ice is and stays. Being able to take advantage of that resource for, uh, for survival um, and then also even power and propulsion uh, and even get it off the cer- You know, once you take that cryogenic liquid oxygen, liquid hydrogen, uh, maybe even put it into orbit around the moon for a depot. Uh, and that, that can all, you know, develop capabilities for more fuel uh, to go to Mars. And then take that architecture, and uh, that architecture applies to Mars as it applies to the moon. Because okay. there's, there's also a lot of water ice on the, on Mars.
0: So Congress, in the last NASA reauthorization that it passed, uh, adopted this goal that exists of getting there by 2033. Sure. Is that realistic? Is it good to set a goal like that?
1: That is a a horizon goal. It's a visionary goal. Um it's it's not necessarily going to be easy and it could probably rec- will probably require more budget than we have right now. Um but it's not out outside the realm of possibility. Uh certainly it's 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 an objective, but it's it's visionary.
0: Right. And so we would be thinking to get to the moon sometime much more quickly than that.
1: Absolutely. We want to be to the surface of the moon with humans inside of 10 years.
0: Um, I've talked to a number of experts. I I interviewed uh, former astronaut Mark Kelly. I talked with House Science Committee Chairman Lamar Smith. And they say that the technology right now does not exist to get a person to Mars alive. We're talking about cosmic rays, radiation, the psychological effects of being in a small uh, ship for uh, many, many months, over uh, two, three years. Can we develop that technology?
1: The answer is yes, we can develop it. They're absolutely correct. We're not there right now. Uh, here's what we know about uh, physiology. Uh, every month that an astronaut is in space, an astronaut is losing 1% to 3% of their bone mass. So you add that up over a period of you know six months on the journey to Mars, and, and, uh, and that, that's damaging. We also know that the heart deconditions itself when you're in a microgravity environment. Uh, so we've got to figure out ways to make sure that the human physiology stays uh, conditioned, and even in many cases, better conditioned. Uh, and then we also know, as you mentioned, uh, the the neurovestibular system. Um, when astronauts come back from the International Space Station, um, we find that sometimes it, they can't even touch their nose. And in some, for some astronauts, it takes as much as a month or, or more before they're able to, you know, take their finger and touch the tip of their nose. And uh, for some of them, you know, they're prohibited from driving cars. They're, uh, but here's the thing. These are American heroes, and we are learning about human physiology. That's another reason the moon is so important. Because imagine putting an uh, an astronaut on the International Space Station or some other maybe even commercial space station for a period of six months and then putting that person on the surface of the moon. We can very quickly learn, if you're put in a six G environment, uh, how does that affect, how does that help us, mitigate the effects of the microgravity environment. Do, do you recover faster when you're in one-sixth G, or do you recover slower when it comes to your, the conditioning of your heart, your, your getting your bone mass back, when it comes to getting your, your vestibular system working again? And of course, a, a lot of people, uh, as you mentioned, we, we have a lot of concerns about the, the galactic radiation uh, that ultimately could be very damaging to, to, to humans. So we can prove all of this out on the surface of the Moon, maybe having habitats that are underneath the surface of the Moon, um, and, and take all of those things that we learn and then feed it forward to Mars. But you're absolutely right. These are challenges that have to be overcome. Uh, human physiology is not designed uh, for space, and it's certainly not designed for planets other than Earth, but we can
0: overcome it. You mentioned budget and the need for bigger, a bigger budget. What are you talking about here? I mean, do you, we have a sense of the budget of what a Mars mission will cost?
1: It, again, it depends on timing. How fast do we want to get there? Um, and and he, so here's what I would say. If you look at the budget that we're getting, you know, from the, the president's budget request, for example, it, it, the president has been very generous in the NASA budget. Uh, while other budgets are um, being challenged, NASA is actually being plussed up. Uh, by the president, and then even better, it goes to Congress, and they plus it up even more from where the president had plused it up. Now, um, the importance here is to recognize there is strong bipartisan support for the science and the technology, the discovery and the exploration that NASA does. And to get us to the surface of Mars uh, by 2033 would probably require even more.
0: You spoke at the Human to Mars Summit at George Washington University in May, and I was struck, you said, we need to use public funds to enable private equity. And you hear that a lot, that public funds aren't going to get us to Mars, that there's going to have to be some private sector buy-in. That's right. But that, it raises a question, what money is to be made for private companies going to Mars? So
1: going to Mars is still a wide open question. The, but here's what we have right now because of what the private sector has already done. For the first time in human history, we have reusable rockets, uh, which is driving down the cost and increasing access to space. Which means we can put more mass into space for a lesser cost than ever before, and then assemble parts of what would be, you know, a, a ship or a gateway, you know, to get to Mars. Um, we can assemble that in in space, in in either lunar orbit or even we can assemble habitats in, you know, low Earth orbit. So again. The technologies that are coming from commercial industry, whether it's reusable rockets, the miniaturization of electronics, these capabilities are getting us more access to space at a lesser cost than ever before, and taking advantage of that in a robust way. Some of the markets that I believe are potentially there for the future. I mean, if you why, why is commercial doing this? Well, they're doing it because they're serving, you know, a 200 to 300 billion dollar commercial communication um, capability that's in space. Direct TV, Dish Network internet broadband from space, uh, remote sensing, imagery, weather. Um, That's why commercial industry is doing this. Imagine every time you flew an airplane, if you had to throw the airplane away after you flew it, it'd be very expensive, cost prohibitive to fly. But because we have this commercial industry doing these innovations in a competitive marketplace, uh, we have more access than ever before. NASA needs to take advantage of that. And, and, And there is a potential at the moon, Again, we, we learned from, from 1969, the first time we landed on the moon, all the way up until 2009, we believed that the moon was bone dry because we just didn't have knowledge. Now we know there's potentially, there's at least tens of billions of tons of water ice, potentially hundreds of billions of tons of water ice on the surface of the moon. We learned that in 2009. What we don't know about the moon is critical because there could be literally trillions of dollars of platinum group metals on the surface of the moon, which could change, depending on who gets it first, could change the balance of power on Earth. I'm not saying there is, but what's important to note is every single one of those pot marks on the moon represents an impact from an asteroid, and a a good percentage of those asteroids uh, are composed of platinum group metals.
0: Right, and one of the the pieces of legislation that has passed in recent years uh, said that companies that go up there and mine can keep, keep the platinum or the precious yeah, metals that absolutely. they discover.
1: We're try- trying to create uh, that market incentive.
0: I'm Sean Zeller, and you're listening to the CQ on Congress podcast. My guest today is Jim Bridenstine, the administrator of NASA. All right, back to you, administrator. Okay, so NASA, of course, is relying on contractors to build right now a new deep space vehicle. It's also working with contractors, two different contractors, to build a new crew vehicle to replace the space shuttle, which was retired seven years ago. And it's relying on contractors to build a new telescope, a very ambitious telescope that will give us a, a view of planets outside our solar system. Um, but these projects are very are years behind schedule. The telescope's cost has ballooned well beyond its original uh, budget. And it's led people like... House Science Committee Chairman Lamar Smith to question NASA's administration, its, its oversight of its contractors. And in the new bill that the House Science Committee is working on, the new reauthorization bill, they'd, they'd create a watch list for contractors that aren't living up to expectations. So is there a contract oversight problem at NASA? So, uh, number one, Lamar
1: Smith is a good friend of mine. He was chairman of the science committee that I served on in the House of Representatives. And he's right. There is a challenge here that we have to wrap our arms around and figure out how to fix it. So, th- th- yes, the, the, w- there, there is no shortage of difficult things that we have to do at NASA. And one of my objectives as the new NASA administrator is figure out how do we do better um, what I would tell you, and, and I think this is an important point, when you think about the Space Launch System, which is the largest rocket ever built with more capability, more throw weight to low Earth orbit, and, and a higher, a, a larger fairing for uh, not just mass but volume as well, uh, it's going to give us transformational kind of capabilities that are necessary to get to Mars. That's number one. Number two, the James Webb Space Telescope, which I believe you're referencing with, with, uh, with the overrun here, Again, we're going to we're going to go over 8 billion dollars on that program for its development. And that means I have to go back to Congress in front of Chairman Smith and I have to ask for a reauthorization. And I think that's the right thing to do. Congress needs to 100% be bought in on this as as I am. But here's here's the important thing. The science we're going to get from James Webb, like SLS, the largest rocket that's ever been built, the science we're going to get from James Webb again is transformational. We are going to see for the first time cosmic dawn we're going to see light from the very formation of the universe the beginning of the universe Um, we're going to learn more about the universe in which we reside than we've ever known before it will be transformational uh as as hubble was transformational um so i think the science committee understands that um we all i'm telling you nobody at nasa is happy about where we are on these projects as it relates to schedule or cost um, but they are critically important, and it's important. You mentioned, um, you know, our replacement for the space shuttle, which would be commercial crew. That's the that's our our effort to to launch American astronauts from American soil on American rockets for the first time since the retirement of the space shuttle, uh, since 2011, in essence. And since then, we've been dependent on the Russians, and of course, they've been raising their prices from 20 million dollars in 2011 per seat, now it's you know 80-some million dollars per seat. Uh, And they can do that because we don't have our own access to the International Space Station that we paid for, ultimately, Mm -hmm. and built major components for. Um, So we have to get these things fixed. I I wanna work with Chairman Smith and others to make sure that we have the right oversight. The other thing that's important to note, NASA does things that have never been done before, the most difficult things. I mean, the science and the technology that is required for this means, by definition, there is a lot of uncertainty when these projects get started. I'm not making excuses. But if NASA's doing what it ought to be doing, we're at the very leading edge of technology, which means there's more risk to what we do. Uh, we do development. We, we don't do production. We do development. It's a little bit different. When you think about what the DOD does, they make one fighter aircraft, and then they replicate it over and over and over again. Everything, not everything, but most of what we do is first-time capability, and I think that's an important distinction.
0: Now, one of NASA's big successes in recent years, of course, is the International Space Station. We've invested, I think it's close to $100 billion into it, and yet the, the Trump administration in its most recent budget said we should phase out federal funding for it by 2024, I think it was, and allow the private sector to take over. Members of Congress are very skeptical, led by Texas Senator Ted Cruz, who leads the NASA authorizing committee in the Senate. So, what's your thinking on that? Right? Is it's, it right yeah. to phase out funding for? Th- I think the idea being to use that funding then to get onto the moon and Mars.
1: That's exactly right. So, we're talking about a, a time horizon of seven years. So, we're, it's 2025, as the, the president's budget request said, no more direct funding for ISS after the year 20 or during the year 2025. So the the we're looking at seven years to figure out what the replacement for the International Space Station is. Two big things to consider. Number one, commercialization. We have more companies right now developing habitats, in other words, space stations for human activity for low Earth orbit than have ever existed before. And I think that's an important point. So if we can transition to commercial, these capabilities, and then NASA becomes one customer of many customers— driving down the cost and increasing innovation through a competitive market i think that's valuable for nasa second thing is then nasa can use the resources that it's been spending on the iss as you mentioned to go further we want to build a gateway around the moon so in other words not like the International Space Station, but think of an outpost that has habitation capability, power and propulsion, again, so we can see more of the moon than we've ever seen before. It's going to have a communications architecture to do telerobotics close to the moon where there's low latency, so you can actually do remote control from the, from the gateway or from this outpost around the moon. The other thing that's important um, about the gateway is it's going to give us more access to more parts of the moon than we've ever had before and that's an architecture that ultimately feeds forward to developing our access to the surface of Mars. So um, the, the question is, given the budgets that we have, how do we do that? Um, the, the answer is commercialize low-Earth orbit and then use, use our government resources, taxpayer dollars, to go further. It's also important to note, well, we'll just say that it can be done The conversation is being had right now as far as how to commercialize low-Earth orbit in a very robust way. And had the president's budget request not had that in there, we wouldn't be having these conversations. So I think this is a healthy debate for our country.
0: Now, I know in your uh, nomination to be NASA administrator, you had the support of some of your uh, Democratic colleagues on the House Science Committee, like Ed Perlmutter. But Democrats in the Senate were skeptical. They voted against you. And I think the reason was that there is a disagreement amongst Democrats and Republicans about NASA's research into earth science, into the climate of the earth. Where do you stand on that?
1: Uh, well, I support, I mean, NASA has been studying the earth for a very long time. In fact, it's in the 1950, 1958 Space Act, which created NASA. Um, and so, uh, If you look at the, again, look at the president's budget request, you know, they they put forward a budget request, and in that budget request, they had a budget for earth science. And that earth science budget presented by the president um, was higher than three of the years that Obama was president. And it was tied for that fourth year that Obama was president. So the president's commitment uh, to NASA, understanding the climate of the earth and how it's changing, I think is there. And, of course, I've been very supportive of that. And, of course, our friends in the House and Senate are as well. A couple of important things to remember. NASA does science. We collect data. We do the science. What what NASA doesn't do is we don't regulate. We don't say, okay, now that we have this data, what do we do about it? Um, That's up to policymakers on the Hill. It's up to regulators. NASA is a science agency. So I, I would say we get support from both sides of the Hill that we should understand what's happening to our planet because it is changing and we get broad bipartisan support for NASA's mission to understand how our planet is changing.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Always. Thank you for having me. I am Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.